You're listening to Thinking Biblically. Hello, everyone. This is Alan Gilman for Thinking Biblically. Uh, This is a video and audio podcast that's dedicated to exploring how all scripture speaks to all of life. And before I forget, please make sure that you click the subscribe button if you're watching on YouTube and whatever subscribe function there is on your uh, podcast provider on YouTube. Also, don't forget to click the notification bell to make sure you get notified uh, with every new episode. Uh, So we've been doing this for several weeks now, and um, please continue to feel free to send me or the the guest uh, your comments and questions. Uh, We'll be sharing about how best to do that in a a little while. Well, on this episode of Thinking Biblically, I'm very happy to have Rick Berg with me. Rick is a bereavement educator, a narrative therapist. He's a best-selling author and an ordained minister. His work as a thanatologist, we're going to have to make sure he covers what that is, has led to a weekly podcast series that's called It's All About the Story and an online course called Grief Start. A Grief Start is grounded in, in the principles of narrative therapy and meaning making, which also fuels his involvement in research through the University of Victoria, British Columbia. Thank you for being with me, Rick. Great to be here, Alan. Yeah, so... I'd like to start, especially, this is new, and so everyone I'm having is new to the, the people who are watching and listening. So uh, why don't you start by sharing a little about yourself, your faith journey, how you got into oh, You know what? I was going to ask you, though, and you'll need to cover this. Um, we, we met a little while ago, and I've been calling you a grief counselor, but that mm-hmm. wasn't in your in your bio that you sent me. It's, I, I didn't say that. So um, is that the wrong term? Well, no, I mean... It, it... I have so many titles in my life, it's hard to know what I what to call myself sometimes. But, um, you know, basically, for me, I'm all things death, dying, and grief. That's where God has called me into. So, you know, sometimes, you know, I feel like I'm a palliative care worker, a grief counselor, um, you know, a, a pastor, uh, you know, I do funerals uh, with people. It's just anything to do with death, dying, and grief. That's that's who I am. So, um, yeah. Well, uh is it okay if I smile while we're <laughs> everything death, dying, and grief, and and Thanatologist? Like all I can think of is that you is that you were behind the killing of Thanos, uh, <laughs> and, but I don't think that's right. So anyway, how serious should I be looking while we're just talking here? No, we need to lighten this subject up. Uh, you know, especially as as Christians, um, you know, we need we're able to lighten this subject up because of uh, you know what Scripture tells us about death, dying, and grief. And even though it's a sad event in our lives, we have so much hope. So I think so often, you know, uh, uh, people don't realize that in in death there's living, um, and that we need to find the joy in the midst of the journey as well. And that's part of what I do is lead people towards joy, you know, uh, through the sorrow and loss of their lives. So, um, I, I, you know, it's funny because one of the things I really love about what I do is uh, when I'm engaging people, whether it be, you know, at a coffee shop or an airport or a restaurant or whatever, and they ask you that same question, well, what do you do? Uh, you know, for a living, I go, well, I'm a thanatologist. And they go, whoa, what's that? You know, and I go, well, it's a guy that, you know, studies death, dying, and grief. And 
And they kind of look at you, uh, first of all, surprised, and, um, and you're wondering, you know, where's that conversation going to lead to? You know, is it going to stop right then? Because who wants to talk about death, dying, and grief? I mean, that's not an easy subject. And yet it's, it's wonderful because um, the next question I ask is really important. And it's like, have you had somebody in your uh, life die recently? Or do you have somebody who's going through cancer or who has a chronic illness? Well, the answer is almost 100%. And so the conversation then continues. And it's really interesting because as a narrative therapist, because I'm so much into story, I get people talking about their stories. And in the stories of dying, in the stories of grieving, there are funny stories. Because if you're talking about your loved one, you know, they want to talk about the stories of life, stories of happiness and joy in their in in who that person was to them. So I don't think death and dying and grief has to be sad. You know, um, it, all the time. It has to be sad. I know we have to visit sadness, but we also have to say goodbye to an experienced joy. Yeah, so I actually, I, I kind of cut you off to jump to this, and uh, we're going to get right back to your story. But I, one thing I do want to comment on is you mentioned, you know, as Christians, we, um, one of the things about doing thinking biblically is that the the Bible is not God's personal take or his version or his opinion on life and living and dying in, in this case. We believe that the Bible is God's revelation of what life is really all about for everyone. We're not imposing something on people as if we're trying to convince them of our opinion. It's that we've discovered, we believe we've discovered, uh, the, the true roadmap of life and death, the true um, uh, story of what the world is all about and we're sharing this not just with people that adhere to biblical truth whatever they call themselves but we're sharing this with everyone because we believe we have found in the scriptures uh, the, the very uh, truth and reality about life and living and yeah. dying um, yeah see so you not nodding and, and uh, I guess you're agreeing with me and so let's let's get back a little more to the beginning and why don't you share a little bit about yeah. your own background and how you became an expert in death grief i'm not even saying it properly you say it better than me back to you rick <laughs> share your story well it's yeah i mean it's yeah you know it it's it's always been interesting to me to kind of just see how god moves us in certain directions of our life even though we might not want to move in them um i guess that's what god is like you know if we allow him to to move and do his thing in us. And, you know, as a pastor, um, a full-time pastor at one point, uh, I was always, I was always surprised at how often I was involved in death and dying and grief experiences. Like I talked to my colleagues in ministry and they go, man, you've done how many funerals? I said, well, I don't know. You know, I've done like, you know, 30 this year. And they go, are you serious? Like, you know, we've done like four or five. And um, I just wondered like, why, I was in these congregations always that has so much death and dying and grief. And it wasn't only the congregations because I realized that, you know, I'm a little bit of an evangelist. So I was a parish pastor, but um, I was the type of guy who was always out talking about Jesus wherever I was. I mean, just naturally, whether again, be in a bar, a restaurant, a coffee shop, a hockey rink, wherever it was, you know, I had the opportunity to talk about Jesus and those people who I began to talk to, I had relationships with. Well, they became kind of the extended 
congregation of my congregation. And so they began phoning me about funerals and death and dying and grief, led into all kinds of hospital ministry, um, long-term care ministry, palliative grief, dying. I used to do, Alan, I used to do for 10 years straight in one of the communities I lived in, I used to do an average of 40 funerals a year. That's a lot of death. That is really something. We don't want to scare the people away to think that everybody that hangs out with you passes (laughs) away quickly. But I I think it's clear that you're you're saying that, one, God's given you a special heart for people, uh, not only in your specific circle of responsibility. You just connect with people everywhere. And because you connect with people everywhere, um, you just know more people. And you're also connecting as... uh, a follower of Jesus who's seeking to to make a difference in people's lives and people die. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's, yeah, it's universal. So, I mean, and the thing is that, you know, I, I guess I really never thought too much about, about that whole, like, why God did you, why do you want me to do this work so much in my life? But um, when I was in a small community, I was asked by a, a local hospital to put together a, um, a program for people um, who are grieving because nobody was doing this in that community. And the doctors were struggling a little bit with this and asked me if I would, you know, have some type of program for people in the community. So I put together this program about two or three years into it. But then a very um, challenging event happened in my life. Um, and that was the diagnosis of my um Uh, cancer diagnosis to my first wife at 42 years of age and uh, you know that that was just devastating for me I was 44 at the time and our kids were you know the youngest was in grade six and all of a sudden in the midst of this life that you know was a good life and things were going well and you know starting up this foundation for, for helping people in grief and boom like it something just stops me in my tracks. And, um, you know, I didn't understand it then, and I still understand everything that happened, you know, because of that. But that event definitely moved me in a direction years later after Pam died at at five years later to move more into this area of of, uh, death, dying, and grief because of my, not only my professional experience, but now I had this personal experience it was really profound where I really need to dig deep into my own faith, into my own journey with Jesus. And that's where I began to really, I think, dig deeper into scripture, to be honest with you, uh, to figure out what is this thing and what, why is it happening? What do I do now? Where is God speaking here? And what will my life look like in the future? I just want to get some bearings, and before we do that, people might notice that my sound has changed, and there's, uh, so if that's happening, it's because there was something I think that was wrong with the sound, and I just fixed it, but we'll move on. Um, Could you just clarify that your own personal timeline, when um, you said you, you prepared this program, Mm -hmm. and then when did you get the news of of Pam's um, cancer, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, um, I just finished, like, it was a couple years into this grief program that I prepared for the local community in the hospital and uh, was 
yeah, just a couple years in where all of a sudden, you know, um, my wife uh, at that time was going in for some, what they thought was some routine uh, uh, surgery. Uh, they thought it was just um, like a maybe cyst on an ovary. That was kind of what we were told. And it was just kind of day surgery. And um, so, you know, I was taking care. I'll never forget, I'll never forget the, the day that it happened. I was took care of the kids in the morning. Pam had gone into a big, into the city of Edmonton for the operation. I drove her the night before and they said, come back, you know, like around uh, noon and, you know, you'll be able to take your wife home. And so great. So I dropped the kids off at school, got them ready and went into the pick up Pam and uh, walked into the hospital room that day. And um, uh, the curtains were closed. There was two, Beds in that room, the curtains were closed, and I peeked in around the curtains, and there was Pam sitting on the edge of her bed. And I said, "Oh, you, are you? How come you're not? Are you ready to go? You know, how did the surgery go? First of all, and are you ready to go?" She goes, "No, Rick, uh, you need to sit down." Um, and I said, "What do you mean?" Well, I'll just I, I got something to tell you. And she said, um, "You just said I've got cancer." Oh, what? Wait, no. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, they they went in there and uh, I've got ovarian cancer and um, it's third stage. Uh, what? No, no, this can't be happening, you know. And she said, "It, it is Rick." And I was, well, of course, I just, I just began to weep, you know. Um, and uh, and again, you know, that was probably my first question to God. I yelled out, you know, I said, "What? No." It can't be you, Pam. You know, no, there's no, there's no way this can't be happening. This, this is wrong diagnosis. This is, you know, you know, she goes, Rick, it's me. Can't be you. Why you? And then Pam said something really profound to me. And she was an amazing woman of faith. She said, well, Rick, why not me? It could have been one of our kids. It could have been my sisters. It could have been somebody. It's me. And we will make it through with God's help. But that question... She was comforting you. She was comforting me. Not to mention you were in complete denial. Yes. Yes. Which is common, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, that that why not me has, has, has been a profound statement in my life ever since that day. You know, I, I honestly, when I when things happen in my life or that I don't understand, I just go, well, why not me? And God, you're here with me. It's not why me. You can't you can't always answer that question. Often you can't, but you can always answer the question, why not me? And invite God into the equation and into the journey. Well, let's can we park there for for a second? Mm-hmm. Um, I can't speak for our viewers. I I find the topic scary. And I also, like a lot of people, don't, on one hand, don't really want to talk about these things. They're, mm-hmm. they're hard to hear. And mm-hmm. we are afraid these things are going to happen to our loved ones or to ourselves. So what, what do you really, can you expound a little more on this? And probably think, you, sounds like you've thought about it a lot since. What does this mean? Why not me? 
Well, when you think about, I mean, that, you know, there's that famous scripture of Jesus asking, you know, the question in the garden, right? Why, you know, why me? You know, why do I have to die? You know, and, and you know, we're called the same uh, way that Jesus was to trust. He trusted his father. And we need to trust our father also when bad things happen to us in our lives. So you're referring to the garden of Gethsemane. Yes. In my experience, not a lot of people don't actually um, grasp that he didn't want to do it. And yeah. then they start to get very spiritual. Well, it, it was this carrying of the sin and, and this sort of thing. It To me, it seems it's pretty clear. Uh, he did not want to continue the mission because he didn't want to suffer. Yes. And yet he was chosen for that. So are you saying is that one of the ways that we can whether it's cope or approach this sort of thing? Well, I think I think what I'm saying is that, you know, when bad things happen in our lives, if we can't make the switch from, you know, why me to why not me, then we're going to have a tough time really trusting God and trusting others because until you face the truth of what has happened in your life, um, you know, it engulfs you, it captures you, it, it, it immobilizes you in your life. And so the, the faster that we can trust something outside of ourselves, you know, that is God, uh, the more likely we'll be able to move forward in life. Because, in, you know, every, every difficult experience that we go through, um, you know, um, can, can, can keep us at a spot where there's no movement in our life. Where, where we don't find anything ahead, where we don't find any joy, any uh, happiness, any love. And what I've discovered going back to the story of Pam was because she said those words and the way she um, allowed our family to move forward in the midst of that cancer journey was amazing. And she, she would not allow us not to live life, even though it was impacting our family. Uh, uh, so many examples of of, you know, like I was kind of the opposite. I was always kind of protecting the kids and, and, and saying, well, you know, we, you know, we got to, you got to really, we got to spend more time with mom. We got to take care of her more. We got to be sensitive to her needs. And she'd go, let the kids be kids, let them play sports, let them, uh, you know, go on field trips. And I go, well, maybe not like they should be home maybe with us more. She was the one who really allowed those children to live life fully in the midst of something that was difficult going around them. And I can see it now how they live their life, those kids. Wow. I'm going to ask you something that's controversial. Um, I I can't say that I have an answer with this, but I'm going to ask you, I'm sure people ask you this and you've thought about it, and that is, does God choose those that we would suffer like that? Was that was it God's will uh, for, for Pam to get cancer what how do you handle that what do you well it's a it's a it's a great question (laughs) that i've obviously struggled with that over the years as well um trying to i might still don't understand why pam had to get cancer i don't understand why you know she'd have to die and not be a grandma not be part of her kids weddings all those events that you know we still miss her at but, I mean, my theological understanding is that we live in a broken world. 
we live in a broken world that's filled with sin. And, you know, I don't understand why things happen. Um, I think God takes, um, you know, the crap that happens in our lives and makes something of it. I think if we're willing to be molded and shaped and we're allowing to, this is where the meaning making really comes into, into play in my, in my grief work. How do you make meaning of life when it doesn't make any sense? You know, going back to, you know, Victor Frankl's uh, man's search for meaning. Why is, what's the purpose of suffering, you know, and how do we make meaning of that suffering? And so for whenever suffering happens in my life, I always try to, to make meaning of it. Uh, and there's a number of ways I do that. But of course, the first thing is inviting God into it and say, okay, God, what are you saying to me in the midst of this? What is the message for me? What is the teacher? What, I'm, what am I being taught here that I need uh, for myself? That's going to help me in my life. Or what is it that you need to teach me, you know, that uh, allows me to be a servant for you in a different way? Or uh, what's lacking in my life that this is teaching me? You know, so that, so it becomes an experience uh, for me as well. And that's, you know, I wrote a, I wrote a whole book on it. It's called Taking Notice, you know, What a Cancer Journey t- uh, Teaches Me About My Life. It wasn't what I was teaching Pam about her life. What did the cancer journey teach me about my life that I needed to know? And so that's how I look at often suffering. It's what is the, what is this suffering? The suffering becomes the teacher in my life. And then it becomes very interesting and very, it's almost like, I almost kind of see it as like a, like a little bit of a treasure hunt. You know, what, what, what is it here in the suffering that I need to know? What is it? How could this change me? There's something that you said that was, I think, was very key because I've I've heard this sort of thing before. Uh, a cancer sufferer and and turning the the cancer into the teacher. And on one hand, it sounds like you're saying that, but you said something at the beginning of that of that part that I think is so important is to ask God what He's teaching. Because when I asked you about asked you does god give the cancer does god give the suffering your answer was which i totally agree we live in a broken world we don't really understand you know the why me why not me people have been trying to get that figured out from the beginning we can't do it um bad things happen to good people bad things happen to bad people because bad things happen to everyone but um but because you said we need to look for what God wants to teach us. I think that's a that's not even a subtle point. It's a to me that's a game changer, because if it was just a treasure hunt, we used to we used to do those with our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, you just navigate the environment and you try to figure out the clues. Sure. And yeah. kids don't normally start to pray. Oh God, help me find the treasure, <laughs> right? Right. But it's like one person's uh, tragedy is not the same as another person's tragedy, and that main difference is in what God is trying to teach each of those people. Yeah. And so you're encouraging us, you're encouraging me, this this is a very challenging conversation already for myself, is, God, what are you doing here? Yeah. And there's also, it sounds like Pam herself had such an amazing foundation of, of confidence in God 
to be able to to say we still need to live life. Would you say that some people try to do that as another form of denial, which does not sound like the way that she was doing it? Um, that's a good question. I think I mean some people. Yeah, I mean some people deny the you know that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've been in a situation where somebody has not even told their children or grandchildren that they have cancer. Wow. And all of a sudden that person has died. Well, you know, the, here's the thing that's so um, amazing about grief and loss, if there's, if we can call it that. It's the teacher. What, like, what is in it? Like, you, you're missing out on something if you ignore it. You miss, you're missing out on something if you don't enter into it. Um, I mean, we know as human beings, or we should know, that as we look at our life back, the greatest learnings and teachings in our life have not come on the mountains. They've come in the valleys. That's where the real meat happens. That's where the real depth happens in our lives. And so I don't pray for those to happen in my life. I don't want more suffering. You know, but, you know, what I do in my grief practice is try to help people understand that uh, this is uh, an opportunity for you to dig deeper at this time in your life, to move s- deeper inside yourself and hopefully towards God and to go to that depth. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm always amazed with Jesus because, you know, um, you know, he'd always kind of go off to a, a lonely place, right, to discern deeper what his father was saying to him in his life. You know, as he went towards the cross, there's always these little minuets of, you know, you know, I mean, you know, feeding the 5,000, it was a great event, but now he goes off to a lonely place to kind of contemplate, okay, this was a great event, but I still got to go towards the cross. You know what? I so I think that he was really thinking deeply about his suffering, um, you know, prior to it even coming. And, you know, when I think about that, I, I've never thought about this before, but when I think about that now, um, we did that during Pam's journey. We were, you know, it's called anticipatory loss. You're thinking about the loss already um, that you're going to uh, experience after Pam had died. But we're going through a lot of loss, you know, as a family, as we thought about not having a mom in our, perhaps not having a mom in our lives, right? So we were kind of going to a depth already, I think, in our lives. And when you do that, um, I think you, I mean, hopefully you call upon God more. You invite him more into your life because what other anchor do you have in your life? You know, that that's going to give you something to a foundation to, to be stable. I mean, we were just, we were just looking for stability in our life for those five years because our, our life was like this. It was up and down and all around, you know, chemotherapy, like things are good. Now it's back again. It was like just a, a roller coaster of emotions for our kids. And yet God was that one, constant in her life and i'm not saying that we didn't struggle with god you know was his what you know we were blaming him sometimes or yelling at him i was angry with him sometimes for sure i go like come on like 42 years of age yeah did, did you have any any personal breakthrough moments as you were struggling with this and, and times where you, you got a sense of, of clarity that helped you to move forward um, I think during the journey itself, a couple times, um, probably near the end of life, mostly, uh, Pam's life. I mean, like we had some pretty amazing 
God moments, you know, um, that were, and I think it was, is mostly because of her relationship with Jesus and what Jesus was saying to her, um, to us, you know, God was speaking through her to us. And, uh, those moments were, were so powerful, um, you know, they were just uh, moments of, you know, you're, you're going to be okay without me because actually you have Jesus. You know, we're going to be together again. Well, because we have Jesus, you know, your life is going to be okay because, you know, focus on Jesus in your life. And that was Pam's message to us, right, to the, you know, to the very last breath, you know. And uh, when she came to that, she was just this amazing person who kept teaching us about faith along the way. And not only us, <laughs> Ella, like I remember having a Bible study at our house and, uh, you know, um, we had this, you know, small groups going in our church and one of the small groups was in our home. And as Pam got weaker, she couldn't always come to the living room where we had the Bible study. She would be in her, in the room and she would want the door open to hear what we were talking about. And, uh, but it was fascinating because we'd be talking and all of a sudden I, I, I say, does anybody ever have a, have a, an opinion or an idea? And Pam go, yes, I do. And honestly, it was like, as closer she got to death, it was like the closer God to get came to her because she would give these answers of people going, wow, like, where did that come from? Well, it came from the Holy Spirit. And it was really cute because I remember one of the people at the Bible study saying to me, you know, Pastor Rick, we don't come back to the Bible studies because of you. We come back because of Pam. That's because crazy. he is speaking to us some powerful messages. So those moments, I guess, in our journey, Alan, kind of kind of said to me, wow, like I know, I know God. I knew God was real. Right. You know, I knew he's real. I know he hadn't left left us. But it was just another, like, God is real, like, now, like, in the moment, today, it, like, right now. And he's speaking clearly. So listen, you know, to the word and listen to the message of people. So you all, so you had already been doing work um, more objectively on this, on this important subject. And then... It came to your own home and your home on your own life, and and you went through the fire yourself. And obviously, you've come through the other side. Um, is there anything you want to? Because I want to get to how you've gone further with the, the your specialty. Um, but I don't want to skip over some of the personal things uh, first, where um, after Pam dies and mm-hmm. like. What did you do? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, that was that's probably the really uh, profound time in my life where the journey began. Uh, you know, especially with with the children. You know, I mean, they were each grieving in their own unique way, and I was obviously grieving in my particular way. Um, but I think I came to a I came to a new understanding of of grief, and really a. a a new interpretation of what scripture says about grief, uh, because, you know, so often in, in the, in the history of, of grief, uh, 
you know, it was so much to do with, uh, you know, the five stages of grief and, you know, the stages that you go through. And once you're gone through those, well, you go on in your life and that's it. You know, it's almost like you forget about that person forever and, 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 and or don't think about them too much because it's not healthy. And I came to the conclusion that's not what scripture says at all. You know, I, I was deeply impacted by the simple story of the Lord's Supper. It gave me a whole new feeling on, on on grief because, I mean, here's Jesus, his last time with his disciples, you know, one of them, uh, having supper around the table, and he gathers them together, and he has a simple meal, and he says, every time you do this, that is, drink this wine, do, you know, this would remember me. Like, remember me. Like, he didn't say, like, forget me when I'm gone. Just, like, do and do it often. Remember me, and I said, "Well, why wouldn't I want to remember people in my life who have died? And how do I do that? And why should I do that? And is it important?" And that kind of really set me off the direction of of um, you know what I call what they call grief grafting. How do I graft this person into my life in a healthy way? In a healthy way, uh, moving forward, because I know that um, they've impacted me. And it's okay to remember them and celebrate, uh, you know, uh, them in our, in your life, whatever the way that is. And people resonated with that so much <laughs> because they've been told so often, just forget it. And Christians too, because Christians are told that get on with your life. The person's in heaven. So like someday you're going to meet them, get on with it. It's not that easy. We have something called a brain. Well, not only and, not easy, but uh, you can make, an argument that you shouldn't do that. That the, the beloved who have passed should be remembered. Though I, there is, there is um, al- also there is a need to move forward because we Absolutely. not to live in the past. Whatever that past is about, right? We need to live in the present mainly. <laughs> we only yeah. live in the present. Yes, but we yeah. must remember. In fact, you'd probably agree. Properly remembering the past is what helps us to move forward to the future. Well, exactly. I mean, and if you just look at the Jewish, uh, the Jewish faith, which you're very familiar with, I mean, there's always acts of remembering the past. There's there's all kinds of festivals to remember, you know, what has gone on before, and to be able to move on to what is next. And that's why, you know, this whole understanding of continuing bonds is so significant. How do we? How do we how do we um, create an enduring connection with that person we love, you know, um, but still discover the joy in our life? You know, so, I mean, um, my new wife, Erica, and uh, myself are going out to visit our children and grandchildren in Alberta next week. You know, and um, we will definitely um, remember Pam because um, uh, Pam's the anniversary of Pam's death is july the 24th and we will be with the kids that day and so we will do some type of remembrance event to recognize that to talk about her life um um her impact on us and then we'll go on in our day and enjoy you know uh, what we have now and it's a very healthy way of grieving and that's been um you know it's been uh how many years now? Boy, I'm using track of time. 14 years since Pam died. So when when did you 
decide to move into the area of grief, death, and dying as a, if I can call it a specialty? Um, that would have happened um, three years, two, oh, three years after Pam died. Um, I, I got married uh, to Erica, um, and I was still serving at a church, full-time minister at a church. But um, I began to I began to write, Alan. Um, I just felt compelled to write, and um, Erica, my wife, really encouraged me just to write what you're feeling. And honestly, I spent about six months writing, and I had a thousand pages of information. And I thought, okay, what am I going to do with this? I got, you know. And so I thought, well, I guess I have to put it in some type of format that, you know, I can write some books. And so I actually took a book publishing course uh, to kind of digest that information and to narrow it down. And the book publisher encouraged me to write, you know, um, a few books, not just one, because there's so much information there. And it was during that time, I think that God, the Holy Spirit was just filling me with words, I think. I mean, I kept on praying and words came and I just began to ask God, okay, what is this experience? What does this mean for you? That was the question I began to ask. What does this, what does the experience with Pam and our kids and the grief of my life have to do with you now? Because I'm, it's happened to me, but could you use this for some other purpose than um, for our family? And that's where, um, you know, time in prayer. And that's where I began. And I think also during that time, people just started coming to me like, you know, it's, it's one thing when you're trained at something educationally, it's quite another thing when you've gone through the experience and somehow um, people began to say, you've been through this. I want to come and talk to you. You know, um, and it's not that I ever shared my experience that much because that's not what a good counselor does. But somehow they knew that I'd gone through this and somehow made it through the other side and was experiencing joy again. My family's doing well, remarried, still honoring Pam in our lives, um, still holding on to the faith. You know, I didn't leave the faith. It's stronger even now than, than ever. And so I got into writing the books and then people began to ask me, well, could you talk about it? Well, could you come to my church or the palliative care associations or, or different organizations? We come and tell your story. And, and, and then I began to go, okay, I guess God is pushing me into this area. And that's really, so I, I could resign from the church and for a year, just uh, kind of formatted my message and read scripture and tried to get a hold on what God wanted me to do. And after that, it was God just, just took it where he needed to go. Tons of speaking events across Canada, books, uh, workshops. And I know that's where I'm supposed to be, even though it's sometimes a hard place. I don't always like to be in that dying and grief, believe me. Yeah, and uh, we'll be pointing people to your website where there's all sorts of information about what you do and your resources, including these books. Um, I don't know if we have time, but I've noticed that you've written some kids' books with Erica. Yes. What's that about? Well, you know, I mean, that was a few years ago when I, I said to Eric, you know, I got to do something fun too. I mean, I'm in, I'm, I'm so much into the death, dying, and grief stuff that you know, it's, it's a tough area, it's a sad area, and I need to lighten my, 
my life a little bit. And um, I've always enjoyed when my kids were young, I used to just tell stories to them. You know, they'd always say, dad, tell us a story. And I'd always just make one up and uh, they used to love them. And they were choosing them over the book sometimes at a bedtime story. And uh, so I mentioned this to Erica uh, one day. She said, well, why don't you write them? We'll, we'll get it illustrator. And she says, uh, how do you feel me about me writing a song to go with them? And I said, that'd be fantastic. So, um, so we begin, she, she, she writes a story for each one of those songs and the stories are, are, um, they're, they're value based stories. They're not Christian stories. Like I don't talk about Jesus stories because as I say, I'm an evangelist and sometimes I just want to mix in the world and bring in the message in the back door, have an opportunity to talk with people. And so these are just really Oh, funny. you're saying you, you want to give people the impression that you're kind of like a normal guy. Well, I, I do in one way because I want to have the conversation. I want to have the conversation. Um, you know, I, it, and again, I'm pro- I'm humbly proud to be a pastor. You know, um, God's called me into that as well. But honestly, um, you know, when I'm in an airport sitting uh, having a meal or sitting having a beer, and then somebody asks me, what do I do? I don't always say I'm a pastor right away. Because sometimes people don't have a favorable impressions of clergy all the time. But if I say I'm a thanatologist, it strikes up a different conversation. And then I'll move into my faith story. You know, I, it's always about my faith story because people ask me, like, you know, like, man, you how did you how did you manage that losing a wife at 47? I go, well, I had faith. You know, that's what really helped me through. And then I'm able to share the story of Jesus and to point out scripture for people. And that's what I love doing ultimately pointing people uh, to the Lord, because I know that without the Lord, there's, there's no hope. And in grief, if you don't have hope, boy, it's hard to experience joy in your, in your future after the loss of a loved one. It really is. Can you define thanatologist? Um, well, than you know, come uh, Greek word death, Right. Logos is so the study of death, dying and grief. That's basically in a nutshell. Yeah, so I hope people are getting what, I, what I'm getting. Like here's here's someone, you, who has a special interest, focus and and work ministry in what we think of as very um, depressing things. But I have the impression that you're more focused on 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 living and life and people and and um and also based on some other things that i've heard you say prior to um, our time together here is that you really believe there is life in dying and can you take a couple moments to yeah. and I, I i've been hearing that sort of thing as we've been going along yeah. but most people think there's only dying and dying yeah Oh, no, there is so much living and dying. And again, you know, my work in palliative care, which is, again, I've done a lot. I've been with a lot of people uh, during their last breath. It's amazing. I mean, again, I don't know why, but I, it's God, right? I mean, people, I've talked to other people, man, I've like, like a couple times or one time I've been somebody who's dying, but I've been, I don't know, like I'm seeing like maybe 20, 25 people at least right through to the very end where I experienced the last breath. And what, again, I experienced is living in that, 
in those breaths as they, they come to a close. And what I mean by that really is I, I really believe that um, I have this, I guess, philosophy, theology, that the closer that we are to our dying, the closer Jesus is to us. Because Jesus came to die for us. So why would he? What happens if, if a person doesn't have Jesus? If a, a person doesn't have Jesus in their life, then they're having a very difficult dying experience because there's no peace. And there is a restlessness in dying from some people. Do you have much experience in being in those same situations, but you're dealing with somebody who doesn't have a faith in God, faith in Jesus? Or I've is been, this all with believe, what we call believers? Absolutely. I've got some experience with those individuals as, as well. And it's, again, I don't want, this is not, like, I'm not saying this is a blanket statement because it's not always true, but um, what I've discovered, which is kind of interesting, is that when you're comfortable with dying, and if you're a Christian who believes in afterlife, it seems to me that those folks are more likely to spend those moments with mom or dad and are more likely to receive um, the living in the dying message. If you're not with those folks, how can you experience the living? How can you experience what's happening there? Because, um, you know, the, I'm surprised so often where I'll go into a hospital or a hospice or whatever, and that person is dying alone. They're, they're alone when they're dying. And um, it's really, really difficult to see that. But I think as believers, um, most people want to be with that person when they're dying, or they should, because God is speaking to them, but also God is speaking through that individual. And that's what I mean by living in the dying like, I am just blown away so often by um, individuals who, you know, who, who are not even coherent anymore. But yet God is somehow speaking through them in their lives to those who are present. And, you know, I'm, and just a, a quick story in that. I was um, probably about a month ago, I was with a family and the, and the lady was dying. She was, wasn't, she wasn't coherent anymore. She wasn't speaking at all, but I entered into conversation with the daughter. And this is where it gets beautiful, right? It gets so beautiful um, where you can, you know, I, and I said to her, tell me about your mom. What did, what did she mean to you? What did she mean to you? What was she like? I didn't know this lady at all. And we had this amazing conversation that led to a, to a faith discussion. Now, and her mom was a believer, but she was kind of struggling with that a little bit. And I said, well, you know, tell me about that. Like, what was that, What does that mean for you for, to know that your mom is going to be in eternity? Well, it's a great question because if your mom's in eternity, then you probably want to be there too, <laughs> right? And so we had a wonderful discussion. You know, I'm not saying she gave her life to Jesus that night, but I think she was curious, you know, and because she asked me, is it like, do you really believe in that? Like, do you really believe that there's something other than here? I go, absolutely. 
And I told her about my wife, first wife story then, you know, and some of the stories that, that I experienced with her, uh, uh, you know, and I said, I've been with so many people at the end of life, you know, and I, I said, I'm 100% confident that there's an afterlife and that the only way to get there, you know, is through this Jesus person, you know. And so there's li- there's living in the dying by the conversations that happen in the dying. But if you don't have the conversations, then right. yeah. So if there's somebody uh, watching or listening to this, and there, I know there's there's so many different um, people involved in in the, in this whole process. But someone who just got uh, a cancer diagnosis, a serious one, or a loved one of that person, or a person who has lost somebody, and they don't know where to turn. What 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 should they do? How can they get help? That's a good question. I think you know. I mean, first of all, um, you know, uh, don't give up on scripture. First of all, I mean, um, you know. Scripture is living. Uh, you know, I, I used to, uh, you know, prior to um, my my work in grief, I used to go to the Bible and kind of scan it for passages on grief. And now I don't. I just go to the Bible and let the Holy Spirit speak to whatever scripture it has for me on whatever subject I'm dealing with. And so, you know, my I guess my first my first advice would be. Go to scripture and, and, and allow scripture to, to feed you, to, to speak to you, believe that it has a message for you. Um, you know, the second thing I would say is, um, you know, find a, find a, a, a believer, a Christian who um, you can hang out with, you know. Um, and again, this is where it gets really tricky for me sometimes because, again, I'm not judging but sometimes I wonder if, you know, as Christians, we kind of have these quick answers that are not always helpful, you know, um, and we need to be very sensitive to people and where they're at in their faith journey. And, you know, these platitudes have to not be part of our language. We have to be very careful with our language. And we need to allow people to discover a relationship with Jesus. That's that's where it's at. People have to come to know Jesus in their life as a companion as a friend, and yes, as a savior. And if we're going to share anything with people who are grieving, share a little bit of our own faith story and what God has met, done for us in the times that have been the most troublesome. And be honest. Be honest. It's not easy to be a follower. It's not easy to believe all the time. It's not easy to understand suffering. But we sit in the grace of God. We we trust Him. You know, I, I you know one of this one of the things I scripture I really love is the road to Emmaus. I just love that because two guys talking and Jesus just kind of shows up in their life and enters into the conversation, and that's kind of what I I want to happen for people who are grieving. You know, you have a person who's grieving, you have somebody companioning them, but the real thing we want is to bring Jesus into the conversation in some way. So they want to continue that conversation about the Lord in their life and what he really can do and means to to each one of us on our journey. And 
that's yeah, that's definitely what I would uh, you know recommend for sure. So as so as you know, um, a lot of people are struggling, whether it's about uh, grief or other issues in their lives. Their companions aren't always the best people. We could look at the book of Job, and a lot of people are like Job's so-called yeah. friends. Yeah. And so when people feel they're stuck, um, how easy is, is it to find a grief counselor? I know anybody all over, anywhere in the world could be watching or listening to this, and so it's difficult to give uh, give advice to anybody and everybody, but should they be reaching out and trying to find a professional? Again, that's a very, very question. I mean, grief is a, is a very, it's a very interesting discipline um, because, you know, first of all, grief is not an illness. It's not an illness. And sometimes grief um, is treated like an illness. And again, I'm not putting down any professionals here at all, uh, but all of us are trained differently. Um, and, you know, grief Grief needs to be handled differently than a than a men, than a mental illness. It's not. It doesn't need therapy unless the grief becomes complicated that leads to something further, like depression, for example. You know, so um, I think that there are some people who, you know, obviously take a narrative approach to grief, which I think is that's why I entered into narrative therapy because it it, it I think it does grief the best as far as a, as a, a discipline, but um, it's, it's not, it's again, I can only say it's not a mental illness and we can't be treated that. So, you know, if you're going to search for somebody, I would look for somebody who is trained narratively in this. I would, I would hope that some pastors also um, have some skills to be able to enter into to bereavement. Um, you know, from a, a non-therapeutic uh, perspective, you know, this whole thing of meaning making um, is huge. And I think the church should do this well. Um, you know, uh, we're looking deep, deep, deeper into the soul of, of a, an individual and helping them discover uh, what's happening inside their lives. Not just, you know, not just their emotions, but uh, the, the soul work. I mean, grief is soul work in so many different ways. I, I can tell you, Ellen, I'm, I'm, honestly, my grief practice, which is, you know, it's probably 70% uh, non-believers who come to this grief practice of mine. I would say that 95% of the time, it leads to spiritual conversations. And I don't start them. They do. I might encourage them in some way, but I never start them. People are searching for something deeper than what the world can give. And we have an answer to that. That's right. And uh, we live in a day where more and more people are concluding that there is no meaning in life. And then we end up in some sort of tragedy, and that pushes us to the brink. And the scripture does show us that there really is a God who loves us. And it's not just an airy-fairy kind of gooey emotional experience. It's not a just something to do as a religious practice. There really is meaning. And you know, the Bible talks about taste and see that the Lord is good. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you've been doing is trying to point people you know, to, to, 
true to taste go to god uh go to jesus and hear what he has to say to you open the bible and let it speak to you because there really is meaning and even in our deepest darkest most despairing moments god is light and he will come into our darkness and there's a part of me that wants to hear you provide and i actually don't believe in formulas but i it's like part of me is going hey rick give the people the three steps to you know <laughs> to to deal with, with with these subjects but no it's relational and and relationally primarily with god um and to if we don't know him then to discover him and if we do know him to, to let him be who he is and let him speak to us well i mean the perfect example of that is is a story of martha mary and lazarus right you know where lazarus dies i mean mary and martha and lazarus they're good buddies with jesus he spent a lot of time in their house and they got to know each other very well and all of a sudden lazarus dies and jesus is in there he's away right he's away and they go and tell him that you know Lazarus is sick and he's going to die, and Jesus, all, and Jesus, but Jesus doesn't go there right away. It's fascinating. He doesn't go right there right away. He waits, and then he finally shows up. And of course, there's that famous scene where they're mad at him. Where, you know, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Questions we always ask, right? You know, um, and of course, the beautiful that Jesus weeps. You know, he's, he feels compassion. But I love that because. It's, it, you know, Jesus is giving them space a little bit because in the Jewish practice, they would have been in a period of mourning. The people would have come to the house and cared for them, loved them up, you know, um, um, been there for them. And then Jesus comes and is with them as well. And then, he, of course, the whole story of, the, of you know, Jesus, Lazarus being uh, brought to, to life and, you know, I'm the resurrection and the life message. But I, I, that's how I feel. Like in, in grief, we need people for sure. Like you said, we need good people with us when we're grieving. But Jesus comes in. He's willing to come in and to be part of that experience, to weep with us. And more so to offer us the message of eternal life. Right? And so this is why it's so powerful because it's, it's the truth that sets us free. We know that. But it's the Jesus who comes into our lives and what he's done for us. You know, let's take away the sin. Give us a place in eternal life. I mean, as grieving people, as dying people, you know, we need this message. And honestly, I think that that's why we've been able to move forward. Our kids as well. You know, because we've had this message uh, that we believe in. And so... Yeah, we, that's why we keep on connected. And and again, do we miss the people we die who have died? Of course, we do. We always do. But man, you know what? A, what a reunion that's going to be when we see them. But what a what what a life we can live now. Like we have work to do. And as Christians, <laughs> if you want to share the love of Jesus with somebody, if you become educated are willing to enter into people's grief and loss and dying you have opportunities to share the message because when people are at their deepest need 
they are searching for Jesus. They are. And we can share that message with people uh, in a healthy way. So if people are also interested in searching for you and what you've been teaching in your books, what's the best way for them to uh, to make contact? Yeah, just go to my website. It's just www.rickberg.com. And I've got resources on there. Um, sign up for my weekly uh my weekly um, blog. I have a every couple of weeks. I do a podcast as well, and the podcasts are are I love them because I get to interview wonderful people who've gone through the grief experience and come out the other side. And many of them are are believers, so it's pretty it's pretty powerful to be able to be blessed by doing that. So yeah, and the books are all available on Amazon and, and stuff like that as well. And but their list, they could find out about them on your site. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, and I could say that uh, such a bless it's a blessing for me to be able to do this podcast to spend some time with a wonderful person like you, Rick. And I really do appreciate this time that you have spent with me. Well, thank you for asking me and bless you in your in your podcast there. And uh, yeah, really appreciate the opportunity to share. Yeah, and maybe we'll do this again sometime soon. Sounds good to me. Yeah. So I'm so grateful that Rick was able to bear his heart with us and share some of the things that that um, uh, the Lord has led him in. I think there's some real been some real great insights that that he's shared. I want to encourage people most of all that if you don't personally know God through the Messiah Yeshua Jesus, that He is here for you right now. Um, there is meaning in life. And that's not something that you take a course for. Uh, you don't need a guru to to enlighten you. You could turn to God today um, and receive his forgiveness through his son and discover the kind of meaning in life. This is not glib. This is not, it's not a formula. Uh, it's real deep living that we discover. Um, myself, when I was going through uh, my my huge crisis that led me to the Lord when I was about 19. At the core of that was a fear of death, and uh, I, I'm not I'm not Mr. Happy Go Lucky today, but I know that God walks with me in a in a in a world that can seem so meaningless. He provides meaning and He provides hope, and we don't realize this through hype. We realize this because he's actually present and working in our lives. And I think that is the theme that Rick came back to over and over again. So again, if you want to be in contact with Rick, that's Rick, you go to www.rickberg.com. That's R-I-C-K-B-E-R-G-H.com. The link will be in the description below, so you can check that out. Again, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, whether YouTube or, or an audio um, and also, if you want to be in touch with me, you can put comments in the um, in in the YouTube um, comments area, as uh, well as you can email me at comments at thinkingbiblically.ca. And so until the next time, this is Alan Gilman with Thinking Biblically.